Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Welcome back to Faked Guys. Apologize for a little hiatus there, but um, I was sick and I'm sure you didn't want to hear me sniffling the entire time, but we are back and this time we're going to be learning about fake alcohol, fake liquor actually to be specific. So, um, you know, like any other episode we do, we like to explore the history of that particular item. So let's travel on back and let's see what's up when was liquor even you know invented or or was it invented you know or was it discovered so it's been suggested that distillation may have originated in mesopotamia 2000 years bc the purpose would have been to produce perfumes and aromatics however this appears to be highly speculative so around 100 a.d the greek philosopher alexander of aphrodisius not to be confused with aphrodisiac, described in unclear terms how to distill fresh water from seawater. So that was the first distillation. And if you know what distillation is, it's it's essentially removing the less dense item of uh, of two objects. So so salt water, you know, there's salt and there's there's water. So what you want to do is you want to remove the water by actually heating it and allowing that water to slowly rise in the form of steam, collect and disperse. So then you have fresh water, you have salt. So he may or may not have actually distilled water, but um, distilling alcohol isn't mentioned or even implied during this. So it was speculative that he may have understood how to do anything with alcohol itself. So some have suggested that distillation was uh, was developed in china others contend it was italy but most authorities believe it was in arabia so two names are sometimes mentioned one is the physician razir which is uh, which was from like 852 to 932 so another is the alchemist jabir in hayyan around 800 a.d it might be noted that alcohol or alcohol or alcohol is uh, Arabic uh, in name. So it is probable that the distillation of alcohol didn't occur until the Middle Ages. It may have been in the 13th century. No one really knows. It could have been one more, even, you know, none of the above sources that we've mentioned. It may well have been independently developed by different people in various parts of the world, which is pretty common. It's, it's even been stated that this is not undoubtedly the case, that it was invented simply because distillation isn't really that hard to figure out. It almost is birthed out of necessity. Um, so, but, but really, um, does it matter who did it first? Um, Albertus Magnus, uh, which is 1193 to 1280, was the first to clearly describe the process which made possible the manufacture of distilled spirits. So we're getting into the Middle Ages there. <clears throat> and that's actually where you get a lot of the... So I don't know if you know um, a lot of uh, alcoholic beverages, uh, but chartreuse, that's like 1400s, 1500s or something like that. But there's a lot of these old spirits 
Aperol, all of these are from the 14, 15, 16, 1700s. I mean, they're they're pretty antiquated. So Arnaldus of Villanova, which is in 1315, uh, a professor of medicine is credited with coining the term aqua vitae. We call it distilled spirit, um, aqua vitae. Uh, which means life water. And this name is remarkably suitable since it is really a water of immortality. It prolongs life, clears away ill humors, revives the heart, and maintains the youth. Okay, so let's talk about some of the benefits. Why was it valuable back then? And which, you know, it it doesn't exactly have the same um, cachet as today, but the 15th century German physician, Hieronymus Brunschwig, I'm getting pretty good at these names, identified many benefits he believed liquor provided. He wrote that liquor, I'm going to go through these, comforts the heart, heals all old and new sores of the head, gives a person good color, cures baldness, kills body lice, cures lethargy, some of these are actually true. So cures all deafness, reduces toothaches. Uh, that's true. Cures bad breath. Not true. Heals mouth, tongue, and lip cankers. Causes the heavy tongue to become light and well speaking. That's very true. Cures short breath, cures good digestion, improves appetite, eliminates belching, draws the wind out of the body, eases yellow jaundice. Interesting. Um, relieves breast pain, cures all bladder, heals all diseases in the bladder, dissolves bladder stones, prevents food poisoning, malaria, shrunken sinews, cures the bites of a rabid dog, heals all stinking wounds, provides courage, true, causes good memory, eases the disease caused by cold, Purifies the five wits of melancholy and all uncleanness. Okay, so that's the history of it. And that's why it was valuable is because people saw it as medicinal. You know, it's a new spirit. It's a new drink that actually imparts something onto the body that changes the chemistry. You know, like you're becoming inebriated and you're actually becoming uh, different, you know. And, And when they see this, I think they're, they're saying, well, this is a medicinal property, you know, that we're, we're, we're changing our behavior because of it. So that's enough with the history. I'm going to jump into what, what were some of the roadblocks, um, and what actually started some of these, uh, the production, the self-production of alcohol, which then could have been, you know, passed down to some of these manufacturers, these shadow manufacturers that do uh, some of the fake alcohol that we are going to be talking about later. So prohibition, I'm sure you've heard of it before. Prohibition was a nationwide ban on the sale and import of alcoholic beverages that lasted from 1920 to 1933. Protestants, progressives, and women all spearheaded the drive to institute prohibition. Prohibition led directly to the rise of organized crime. So, the 21st Amendment then was ratified in December 1933, which repealed prohibition. But I want to focus on that prohibition led directly to the rise of organized crime. This is very much true, and this is where a lot of that stuff stems from. 
a lot of the mafia we know about, you know, Al Capone and all those gangsters, they actually started during Prohibition. You know, there was obviously a market to get alcohol out there. The production is what was banned, not the consumption. So anybody who did buy up a lot of alcohol, you know, still could be drinking it at home. Not a problem. However, that's going to run out. So um, what these mobsters did was they started making their own or finding those that were making them, you know, uh, commissioning them. And then what do they call that? Uh, like rum running it. So they would be whiskey running it. They would be, you know, this is bathtub gin. This is stuff that people used to, uh, although I think they, mobsters in reality, I think they were actually making the good stuff. But, you know, if we're talking, talking about backwoods areas, you know, they could make moonshine that would make you blind, which then goes into um, what, are, what are some of the things that, event, that actually make, uh, alcohol fake, you know, like, is it just unbranded? Does it still taste good? We're going to be talking about dangerous alcohol that are aimed at consumers in efforts to quick sell. Doesn't matter what's going on on the other end of that. They just want to sell you a bottle. So fake alcohol is an international problem impacting health, government, and economy. Alcohol fraud can be literally diluting a premium, premium vodka, tequila, whiskey, scotch, gin with simply water. Now that's not dangerous to your health, but that's going to be dangerous to your wallet. So if you're purchasing alcohol that's been watered down at the same price as if it had not been, you're wasting money. You're getting had. Okay. So this is also something that's true in some areas of the world where a bar owner may grab a bottle and if it's vodka, super easy. You can dilute that baby with water, you know, add a, a small minute, but that would extend your profits. So I don't think it's practiced that much. Um, I think a lot of patrons are pretty uh, aware of what goes on. So that that practice uh, known as refilling can also, there there is a practice known as refilling, Um and that can be deadly when other liquids like rubbing alcohol or methanol are added to the distilled spirit to maintain the alcoholic component of it. But if you're adding rubbing alcohol to something that, you know, is a 45% alcohol already, oh my gosh, that's awful. So other practices that bars, uh, clubs, restaurants, uh, use are substituting well liquor for premium brands or even refilling top shelf liquor with just cheap brands. So all these practices are absolutely illegal, counterfeit, fake, and a form of alcohol fraud that takes direct aim at consumers. So how do you go about spotting fake liquor besides just having your wits abroad? You know, like if you're at a, if you're at a bar that's going to be a, a different story. That's going to be something that you're going to be able to claim to the server or the, you know, the, the server or the hostess or even the general manager or something that, you know, if it tastes odd or off, generally they're replaced. So they're almost at a loss at that point. So how do we spot fake liquor in a consumer world? So duty-free, I think you've all been to a airport or you've been to a duty-free mart. So duty-free means it should be cheap. 
right? No. Usually proper alcohol stores and duty-free shops would be stringent about their sources and would avoid the smaller vendors who are highly likely to be trading fake liquor. So just avoiding those dodging looking store, you know, the ones that aren't exactly reputable or, uh, I mean, are on a strip mall right before the airport or something like that, or this, this is primarily going to be taken in, um, other countries. I think a lot of that is honed in here. Not saying everywhere. I mean, there are definitely places in larger cities that you then can definitely get away with selling fake liquor, but you just got to be on your toes about it. You've got to know some of these things that we're going to be talking about here soon. So here's a simple one is literally check the spelling. So more often than not, these counterfeit items will have mistakes in their spellings and their packaging would look rather different or messy. So names such as Johnny Walker should be uh, with an IE at the end and not a Y. There are, there's been many uh, fake liquors sold where they will change Johnny to a Y instead of the IE. Um, Another one is Chivas Regal. So that could be uh, Chivas Regal as in uh, the originals R-E-G-A-L and the fake one's going to be R-I-G-A-L. So that's important, you know, check out the spelling. The logo may be perfect, but um, they may have to change some stuff. I mean, these aren't exactly the most legal people, so I'm not sure they're going to be adhering to copyright laws. But next up, let's, you know, we've picked up the bottle and we need to examine the packaging closely. So check if there are bumps on the boxes and whether it has a shiny sheen. If the packaging looks dull and looks like a like a normal printed sticker, you're going to want to beware that a lot of alcohol, you may not want to hear this, but they throw so much into their marketing to make it, just to set it apart. I mean, you've been down a liquor aisle, there's billions of things to choose from. They want it to They want you to pick that bottle up and it wants to be textured and, you know, they're drawing you in. It's marketing. So the neatness of their packaging and stickers should matter too, as actual branded alcohol bottles would be decorated properly and meticulously, whereas counterfeit bottles would be decorated without a care. So stickers may be on uh, slightly askew. So Sometimes even the different fonts uh, used can give it away because some of these fonts are copywritten and maybe they just get close enough, but that's, you know, that's what it is. So you just got to look at the fonts. However, if you you come across these glistening gold fonts on GM Mums, uh, best-selling bottle while you're shopping for some celebrity uh, or celebratory bubbles, fret not because this one is 100% authentic. In fact... It's actually Mum Cordon Rouge uh, brand new design, which juxtaposes old and new by mirroring the modern and disruptive gold lettering across this transparent slender silhouette with the reinterpretation of the iconic red sash that pays homage to its heritage. So that's also something is understanding what these bottles look like. If there's a classic bottle you're looking for, maybe they've done a redesign. Just a quick Google search is going to get that answered for you pretty quickly. So check for duty stamps and barcodes, okay? Bottles of alcohol larger than a certain amount, usually 350 milliliters, must have duty stamps when imported into the country. Usually bottles of hard liquor, wine, and beers are around 750 to 1 liter. 
Okay. If you have a barcode checker on your phone, pull out the app and check those barcodes. It's quite common for counterfeit bottles to have fake barcodes too. So it should go nowhere. Um, so that's kind of like a bit of a tech, you know, inclusion there. So next up, let, you know, this is a common thing we always talk about, but I need to reiterate, especially in certain markets. So is the price too good to be true? Then yes, it is too good to be true. The prices of fake liquor can go super low because they don't cost much to make in the first place. And, and honestly, a lot of branded ones don't cost a lot. So you know, even if they were staying true to the production, it's the marketing and the name and the heritage that goes into these other bottles that makes them a little more expensive. So sometimes even reputable bars and clubs would distribute the fake ones under the pretense of free drinks or special deals. Well, who would be giving out expensive bottle of whiskey, brandy, champagne, wine, etc., for half the original price or lesser or at no cost? Come on, give me a break. We all know the bottom line on restaurants. We know the margins. They're not amazing. So if you're unsure of the rough estimate price and what it should be, then you can check using uh, globalalcoholprices.com to make appropriate comparisons. And no, we're not sponsored by them. Although Global, I'll do a commercial for you, a really bad one. So uh, check the manufacturing and expiration dates. The scariest part about fake alcohol is how vendors would buy back empty real bottles from bars and clubs, then fill those bottles with the contraband liquid. So that's like the craziest one. So if the date seems to be way too long ago, then that's likely a recycled bottle because primarily you're going to be flying through these bottles. So... To make sure you're not drinking fake alcohol, or at least expired ones, uh, check the expiry date on the bottle. They are usually printed on the cap, but some may be on the stickers too. So these are primarily used as used-through dates, not expiration dates, but um, it's definitely good to look at that because you're, most of these, uh, these distilleries are making bottles and selling them immediately. They are coming from... From the distillery, straight to their bar, straight to the recycling bin slash trash can. So take a closer look at the, te- the color or texture of the liquid. If you're doubting the shade of your alcohol, like, yeah, why, do, well, why does that look a little too dark or a little too light? Then they may not be the real deal. So familiarity is going to be on your side here. I know that, you know, that comes with alcoholism, but familiarity with a certain brand is going to help you not buy the fake stuff. So besides that, these liquids are usually clear um, and should not contain different shades. Some of the fake ones will look like they have particles or different layers in them. That is a huge red flag because that shows density levels. If it's layered, even slightly, um, you know, slightly different color, layered, 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 that means they did not do a great job with deciding what's going in this bottle what they did was they separated because they're different densities and that's disgusting. So, um, this one's a different one. So sniffing the liquid before you consume it, mm, that might not always be available, but if you, if given the opportunity, absolutely do it. So alcohol smells strong, spicy, woody, or fruity, depending on what type you purchase. However, it will definitely not smell like nail varnish, you know, turpentine or chemicals, which are common sense for fake hard liquors. So, you know, some of the really bad vodkas smell like that. So, I mean, pick your battles here. So, next up, if it tastes so hot like chili, then it's fake. 
Weird, huh? Every alcoholic beverage has some kind of natural heat or spice to it. However, fake ones would use chilies or strong chemicals to mimic that burning sensation. Nevertheless, the burning sensation from alcohol would still feel smooth while going down your throat. If the burn is much stronger than it should be or possibly sticks on your tongue, then it's definitely capsaicin, which comes from, you know, chili peppers and not alcohol. So this one's going to be something that can't be avoided uh, if you've already consumed the alcohol. Your, your hangover the next day feels like you've been hammered in the head with a brick. I know we've all had those nights, but um, needless to say, since you're ingesting chemicals, your hangover the next day will feel like an absolute blow to the dang brain. Hangovers are bad, yeah, but if you feel like you've been smacked uh, with a bat, then never go back to that bar again or never purchase from that store. So those are pretty much how you're going to, those are foolproof ways to, um, to get around buying fake alcohol. It's not always going to be perfect, you know. Your the idea is to always buy from reputable sources. However, if you're you're at a flea market down in a different country, you're going to probably want to try that stuff, right? I mean, if they have some really cool stuff and like say Jamaica, maybe you you don't want to do Appleton rum, you want to just get like one of the local rums and it's on a table, looks fine, you know, all the other stuff looks good, but they could be doing exactly what we're doing here. So ask for a sample. Don't drink it immediately. Do the smell test. Uh, maybe dip a finger in, you know, give it a little lick. That's that's fine. That's That'll be good. So that's the idea here is in those situations, how to protect yourself when you're abroad. Uh, how not to get scammed. How not to consume counterfeit alcohol. Honestly, how to just keep self-preserved. So guys, remember with faked items, there are those who produce them, those who purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. See you later, guys.